0: Dear brothers and sisters, in the joy of Christmas, uh, it is right and fitting that we consider directly the Holy Family. You know, the birth of the Son of God puts God's seal, a divine seal, on the dignity of the family. You know, it's just an overall thematic construct when we consider the Incarnation, how God came to us. He came to us as God's Son came to us, taking on our human nature in the family, beginning with the annunciation, the conception of Jesus Christ in the womb of his mother Mary. God renewed humanity from its very beginnings, very beginnings, for we're all conceived in the womb, and he comes in to sanctify the institution which he himself created from the very beginning, the family. So God, as it were, saying, you know, I didn't get it wrong. I didn't get it wrong. My plan is the right plan for man's good. My plan, God says, is the right plan for the good of the human person. And so the family was willed by God for our good, man's good. It was precisely in the family that God wills man to flourish. The family as he created it. And thus the family stands in a specific relationship with God. This relationship is grounded, as Holy Scripture shows us, especially tonight, on love and devotion. The Holy Family, we see right away from the Gospel, was a devout family. Joseph and Mary take Jesus up to the temple after 40 days to fulfill the law for the ritual purification of the mother because to give birth to a child, according to the law, the the woman was ritually unclean. So after 40 days, there was a, a purification so that she would be ritually pure and then could be reintegrated into worship either at the temple or at the synagogue. But also... But also, as the law of Moses showed, every male that opened the womb was to be consecrated to God. God says, every male born is mine. And so, God required a redeeming, a redemption, a sacrifice to, as it were, take back, to appropriate this child that God had given, this male child that God had given to the family. And so Joseph and Mary take up Jesus to the temple to perform these rites. And they do it in perfect obedience and devotion. You know, it's interesting. You know, a modern twist of mine, you know, Mary could have said, well, you know, God gave me this child. How could I be richly impure if God gave me this child? Why do I have to go to the temple? You know? He doesn't say that. You know? Why do I have to redeem this one who's God's son? The angel said, you will you give birth to the Son of God. You know, I don't think we need to make this trip. See? Modern thinking. No, they take the, the child and they go to the, to the temple in obedience to the law, as a sign of devotion, as a sign of their love for God. And in doing so, what happens? They reveal the Savior. They reveal the presence of the Savior to two people who were clued in, Simeon, and the Holy Spirit told him he would not die until he saw the Christ, and Anna, Anna, this devout woman, who lived most of her life, as Luke is clear, as a widow. And they understand who the child is. So in their devotion, in Mary and Joseph, in their devotion and obedience, they reveal the Savior to two favored people, Of God. And what happens. When they go home. St. Luke tells us. The child grew and became strong. Filled with wisdom. With wisdom. Not a worldly wisdom. With divine wisdom. An understanding. Of who he is. As both. God and man. And. Luke ends, the favor of God was upon him. You know, it's interesting to think, most of Jesus' life on this earth was a hidden life, a humble life, an obedient life to his parents. You know, tradition tells us that for 30 years, Jesus was the carpenter's son. And for three years, that was all his public ministry. For three years. So for 30 years, the Son of God on this earth in obedience and devotion. And so we turn to that that uh, first reading from Sirach which has so much meaning then because just as the son of God lived in the family honoring his father and mother the sacred author of Sirach tells us that the father and mother have honor and authority over their children. The father and mother have honor and authority over their children for what reason? Because they exercise custody Just like Mary and Joseph did, they exercise custody over the children in God's name. Every life comes from God. Every child born or accepted by parents, right, if they're adopted, for example. God, so to speak, as it were, says to them, this person is yours in trust. On loan, to use a modern expression. And so they exercise, the parents do, their paternity as a divine trust because all life is in God's hands. The most important duty of parents to their children, the most important, is to hand on the faith. To give the child a religious understanding of who the child is in relationship to God. It's the parent's responsibility, and I emphasize this at every baptism, to teach the child who God is, who Jesus is, who we are as disciples, why the church is important in our lives. And this is what the parents are obliged to hand on, the faith. Therefore, the children need to see their parents living their faith through obedience and devotion, through obedience and devotion. The sacred author says, whoever honors his father atones for sins. And perseveres, himself, perseveres from sin. Himself persevering from sin. Think of that. Why? Because when we get in a framework, in a disposition, in the habit, in the habit of devotion, then that colors everything in our lives, especially our relationship to our parents and the parents' relationship to the child. Then in this familial life, this familial life is renewed when children become parents. And that's mentioned in the first reading. Right? The familial relationship lasts even into old age. We have a a special responsibility to do what we can for our aging parents. Not to abandon them, but to have care and concern for them. In his in the passage we have in the second reading from Colossians, the letter to the Colossians, which is a wonderful letter. You now, if someone were to ask me, where do I start with St. Paul? Well, it's not with Romans. <laughs> if you want to be, have a great introduction to the writings of St. Paul, read either Ephesians or Colossians. They're very similar. And in this letter that we have tonight, which is so precious, Paul rounds out the virtues, which are to be found and live daily among the members of the family. He mentions heartfelt compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. And he exhorts, he exhorts his listeners, let the peace of Christ control your hearts. Let the peace of Christ control your hearts. Very strong word when we hear that word control. Americans do not like that word. Now, No, in in this world in which we live, everything's about individual rights. It's what I control. I'll show you because I am free. St. Paul says no. Let the peace of Christ control your hearts. And isn't that what we long for, dear friends, peace? Who gets up in the morning and signs up for agitation? You know, I think I'm going to have a good dose of consternation today. Let me go find it. No. No. We all are searching for peace. That's the greatest gift we can have peace with a serene conscience. A serene conscience. And Paul says that's one thing. And he also says the second thing in his exhortation is to be thankful. To be thankful. You know, when I prepare my couples for marriage and I talk about many different things, I say, you want to safeguard the great gift you've been given and that you're going to receive, rather, when you get married? Get up every day and thank God you're a spouse. You know, go into the bathroom, look in the mirror and say, Lord, thank you for making me a spouse. That's important. It's important. Why? Because the joy that we experience in our lives, the joy that God wants for us, dear brothers and sisters, is in and through our particular vocations. And that's especially true for spouses. That's especially true because we're all, we all grow up in a family. In a family by God's design. And so we have to be careful. We followers of Christ accepting his revelation, we have to be careful of the threats to the family from worldly wisdom. We don't want worldly wisdom. We want divine wisdom. We have to be careful of materialism. That we're measured by what we have, what we own, all the stuff that's around us. What does that lead to? Selfishness. Or relativism. You know, one way to God is as good as another. Another. You know, every religion is okay. You know. And then what does that do? Once you start believing that, you believe in nothing. Once you believe in that, relativism, you give yourself to nothing. stand for nothing. You know? Relativism leads to what? Wishy-washiness. Wimpiness. Weak devotion. And we have to be careful about the worldly views on marriage. As we have it today, marriage is anything you want it to be. Anything you want it to be. Who would have thought when we were kids, those my age and older, who would have thought when we were kids that it would come to this? Who would have thought? And worldly wisdom undermines the beauty, the dignity of human sexuality. And all of this lends itself to diminishing God's place, God's place, In the family, when a couple gets married, a Christian couple gets married, it's three in the marriage, bride, groom, husband, wife, and God. And so the question that comes to us tonight, dear brothers and sisters, a question that we must face and give a personal response to is, do I or we want our family aligned with the world or with Christ? And so I would offer for your consideration tonight a program for the Christian family. A program for the Christian family. At the heart of obedience and devotion to God, we disciples of Christ, at the heart of that, the center of that in our lives, family life, should be celebration of the Eucharist. Sundays and Holy Days. We can't be here because of the pandemic. To be sure, we watch it on, online or on TV, whatever. Secondly, Parents must see that the children are initiate, have the sacraments of Christian initiation. Too many families. Too many. If it were ten, it would be too many. Delay baptizing their children. It's terrible. It's terrible. Who are we to hold back the Holy Spirit from our children? And infant baptism goes all the way to the beginning of the church. Thirdly, prayer in its many forms. Morning and evening... The reading of sacred scripture, devotion to the sacred heart, veneration of the blessed Virgin Mary, grace before and after meals, and of course, the time-honored custom of the rosary. All these things should animate our families. You know, when I meet a couple and they come down, they first meeting, they sit down, they're engaged, they're ready to go, they want to get married. I'm like, great, do you pray together? Some do, a lot do not. I said, if you're getting ready to enter into the sacrament of marriage, getting ready to be launched, as it were, in this great enterprise of being parents, you need to pray. You need to pray. I'll never forget the one couple. I I offered this to them, and they, they looked at each other out of the corner of their eyes, like, do you believe this? And can we do this? They came back at the next meeting, and I'm ready to talk about something else didn't even have that in my mind. The guy stops me and he says, Father, I want to tell you something. I said, what is it? He said, well, last time we were together, you said we should pray, pray together. And I have to tell you, Father, when we began, it was really awkward. But I want you to know that we look forward to it every day. I said, that's it. No more meetings. You can get married tomorrow. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But gold star for that couple, right? Gold star for that couple. And friends, we don't want the average. We don't want to settle for the average. We want the best because we're special in God's eyes. Finally, let me just say a special word about fathers. The Holy Father has given us a great gift about the year of St. Joseph. Great gift. And some years ago, there was a study done about devotion in the family. And it didn't really, you know, it was important that, w- that mothers were devout. You know, many mothers were devout. Thank God. I myself remember greatly the devotion of my grandmother. But what made the difference for the children to practice the religion was the devotion of the father. If the father was not devout, no matter how devout the mother was... More often than not, the children didn't practice. Now, this is a study, right, of a certain sample, right? I'm not saying it's the Bible, but it does show what it does show is the spiritual influence of the Father. And so, tonight, dear brothers, dear men, this would be a wonderful time with this year of St. Joseph to actually cultivate a devotion to St. Joseph, to study his virtues. To study his virtues. There's really good writing about St. Joseph. And it would be good for us men to take it to heart. Dear brothers and sisters, tonight God's word comes to us to renew us. To renew our church. To renew our parish. In this great feast of the Holy Family. May we trust and expect God's blessings for our families.